Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So why does God want worship? You know, I'll admit, at the time of recording this episode, I haven't fully thought out what the title's going to be. So the title might just be that, Why Does God Want Worship? Or the title might be, Is God Selfish? Or is a God that demands worship selfish? Something like that. Either way, we're going to cover both subjects today. So have you ever had that thought? Like, you've been to a church, right? And if you haven't, go to a church, experience something new, try it out, see what this is all about. I really encourage you. Go to a weird church, even. Judge them. <laughs> like, like seriously, if you're going to reject something, have good reason for rejecting it, right? So, anyway, you're at a church, and before the teaching begins, before the pastor or speaker, whoever it is, gets on a stage behind a pulpit, opens the Bible, or puts some scripture on the screen, you have a time of singing, and it's like... It's like 20 minutes to half an hour. It's like kind of a mini concert up there. And <laughs> shoot, for some churches, it they really do try to make it like a concert. Or even like like a rock and roll show. And there's lights and lasers and smoke. And, and there's these songs. And there's you know either a myriad of instruments or a couple acoustic instruments. And the singer's either really, really good or they're like, why are you singing? And it's weird. And everyone's singing along. And Sort of, because they're all just kind of standing there and half of them have their arms crossed and some of them have their arms lifted up and maybe even like tears rolling down their face and they're really into it. And we do this every Sunday. Well, those of us that go to church do it every Sunday. Why is this worship? Well, so we need to talk about the Trinity for just a brief second. And I've mentioned this in other episodes before. So if you've Heard me say this over and over again, and you're familiar, feel free to fast forward and roll your eyes, do whatever you want. But we do have to talk about the Trinity before we get to worship, because that question, is God selfish for wanting worship, really hinges on the Trinity. You see, C.S. Lewis gets at this in his book, Mere Christianity, towards the very end of the book. He calls this the dance of God, the Trinity. And I think this is very crucial in understanding worship, that we understand that God is one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Yahweh, God the Father, is God. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again, is God. And the Holy Spirit that comes to live in every person that has accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior and obeys God the Father, the Holy Spirit is also God. Now that's important, because if there were a single God who were a single person, like the Muslims believe and like the Jehovah's Witness believe, because, you know, they say Jesus Christ was a God, not the God. Well, then we have an issue because we have to extrapolate who God is outside of time. So we have to go all the way back before Genesis 1 to before there was a creation and ask ourselves who God is. So single God, single person, why does he then make humans? If there's a single God who's a single person, the reason can't be love. There is no way he could have made humans out of love because there was no love because love has to revolve itself around another object. Love of self is only pride. And I know I am saying that in the face of every Gen Z and millennial TikTok video that's out there that says you just need to love yourself and accept yourself. That's pride, okay? And 
And I'm not saying you need to hate yourself or that, you know, you, you need to be depressed or, or be like Martin Luther and whip yourself daily because of your sins. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying a, a love and affection and a doting upon yourself is pride. It's, it's I mean, carried out to its extreme. It's narcissism. That's the story of Narcissus in the Greek, right? That he saw his reflection in the pool of water and he loved it so much like he, he, I forget if he died or if he drowned himself. I'm, I'm not as familiar with my Greek mythology these days. I haven't read Greek mythology in a number of years. So, but, but that's the story of Narcissus in the Greek, right? And that's where we get narcissism from is that old mythological story of Narcissus being so obsessed with and, and in love with himself that it ultimately is his ruin and his demise. And if you have a God that's not a trinity, that's the God you have if there's any form of love before he created anything, right? So then... A single God who's not a trinity, we'll just call him Allah for sake of, of the ease of not having to repeat that phrase, single God that's not a, a, a trinity. So Allah makes things then to worship him. Everything Allah creates is for the sole purpose of bringing him self-glory and self-satisfaction. You have a power-hungry, prideful God and he demands worship because he's selfish if, however, you have a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have the only scenario in which is the possibility for love, and not just love, perfect, pure, and unending love before he created anything. Because you have Father revolving all of his affection, doting upon, care, attention, everything that comes with love. You have him revolving all of that around Son and Holy Spirit. You have Son revolving all of who He is around Father and Holy Spirit, and you have Holy Spirit revolving all of who He is around Father and Son. And, and when you have two people revolving around each other, C.S. Lewis says, well, you know, if you picture that, it looks like a dance. And so he calls the Trinity the dance of God, and it's beautiful. And so then Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are loving each other so perfectly before time began that all of creation then is a loving gift to to Father from Son and Holy Spirit, to Son from Father and Holy Spirit, and to Holy Spirit from Father and Son. And so then what happens is everything is made out of love. And God can look and, and he can make the stars and the sun and the moon and the plants and the birds and the fish and the animals and say it is good. And he can say, you know what, I'm going to make something in my own image. And it is, it's very good because I love it so much. And so then, the Christian part of worship is not that God demands worship. That's, that's not even a conversation. He doesn't demand it selfishly. God created us, and he loves us. Period. End of story. So, worship does come into play, though. Because there's this other kind of interesting fact, is that God made us to be people that worship. And so, okay, <laughs> what is worship? Well, let's, let's just look at the definition of worship. So I just Googled worship definition. It's the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. It's to show reverence and adoration for, in parentheses, a deity, uh, honor or with religious rites. And then a more detailed definition, definition from Wikipedia is worship is showing regard with great respect, honor, or devotion. This may be encountered in religious settings. In such instances, it may represent divine worship, reverence for a divine being, or supernatural power. This activity may have other focuses, such as hero worship, 
And I know I just committed the academic sin of referencing Wikipedia, but I think it's fair enough in this point, in, in, in the point I'm trying to make, because the point I'm trying to make is we're chronic worshipers, that we were made, designed to worship something or someone, and we will. We will give all of our devotion, attention, affection, thoughts, planning to something, right? So it's no secret uh, for those of you that listen to the show for a while that I really like things with motors. I like cars. I like motorcycles. And the temptation and, and being a part of that kind of community, because I have a lot of other friends that like cars and motorcycles, and, and an, observation in temp, uh, an observation I make on the temptation of worship in that community is that all thoughts, attention, affection, emotion, planning, life planning, and even relationships fall secondary to all of those things being focused on a car. You know, it's, um, it's not uncommon in that community for people to, when they get married, get a prenup to protect their classic car or their, you know, Corvette or Porsche or whatever it is, right? To say, you know, if I, I want to marry you, but if this marriage falls apart, you're not getting my baby. You're not getting my, and it's like, you know, number one, you should never marry someone like that. Someone that wants a prenup for a car because that <laughs> they are telling you that you're less important to them than a car. Um, so <laughs> watch out. And, and that might offend, and I don't care, because that's, that's, that's true, that you are elevating and lifting something up as the highest pursuit in your life. And that's a part of worship, too. And, and, and that's, that's deeper. That's a worship that is the kind that is, like Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. Because in John chapter 4, when Jesus is at, at, at a well, and he's debating with a Samaritan woman, and he says, I'm the living water, and then she kind of gets into this debate, well, well, what about worship? And, and Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's talk about what the Bible says about worship then. Is worship just singing songs? No. I, I, I think the answer to that is obviously no. Given what I just said, given the definition I just read off of like Google and Wikipedia, um, which, and I'm choosing those because they're, you know, lower academic intellect uh, sources. Um, they are not acceptable in academia, but they're acceptable in culture. So that's why I'm choosing those sources. Um, so in First Chronicles, the Bible says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations... The Lord reigns. And I know I said that softly, but there's an exclamation point there. So I think that that's one of the pivotal verses in the Bible about worship, along with the verse in John 4 that Jesus is talking about, the spirit and truth. And man, there are so many verses in the Bible, and we're already like halfway through this episode, so I do not have time to go through an expositional podcast on worshiping the Lord and what that means. But I will say, and, and I would also love to talk about singing songs in church and how 
Jesus said not to pray in vain repetitions like the heathen do. And half of all modern worship songs and definitely like almost everything on K-Love is just these vain repetitions over and over again. And there's this one song that's like, and the children and the children. And I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? Uh, and we just, we just stand there in church and we sing it over and over again. We don't even like let the words sink in. And I don't want to be one of those people that's like, we need to get back to the hymns. But it's like the hymns at least had depth and the hymns at least had like substantive scripturally backed meaning in them. And, and, you know, I'm, Hey, I'll, I'll admit unashamedly, I'm a really big U2 fan. And, and in an interview, Bono said that he looks at old hymns to write songs. And I think that there's a reason that they're, you know, like one of the number one bands of all time, because people crave depth and meaning in their worship songs. So if you lead worship, if you dare to, which is also the job that Satan had before he fell from heaven. So be careful that you, that you represent God, not Satan, because I think that in the church, and I've said this before in the podcast, I think that the one position to be in that is the easiest to fall into temptation and, and represent Satan more than God is worship leader, right? So so take this, if, if, if you play worship, shoot, if you freaking play bass on the worship team or something like that, not that I have anything against bass, but I mean, let's be real. If, if you play music, you, you know where I'm going with this. But if you play worship, be careful that you're not a part of the crowd that just stands there and blurts out vain repetitions. Because I think looking back at this text in First Chronicles, there's an there's it says the word a scribe multiple times in it, right? There there is a an honoring and a recognition, and if we take that word apart, a scribe, right? Scribe is in there, and and so there's a detailed reckoning out of these attributes, right? Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord, the glory due his name. Is the glory due God's name? Just a bunch of vain repetitions and half the worship songs on Caleb and all this crap are all about me anyway, right? I am who I am because of you. I am this, I am loved. I am, it's like, (laughs) I am, my soul is forgiven because of who you are, because of you know, behold the man upon the cross, his, my sin upon his shoulders, right? That might be truer worship. Anyway, I'll get off the soapbox because we are quickly running out of time. And I do want to get to the point here. Sing to the Lord, all the earth is set. So is singing worship? Yes. Is singing the only form of worship? No, I don't think so. Because I think that there's a reverence and awe and a thought process that I mentioned earlier that is a part of worship as well. There's almost an, an, an OCD-like, obsessive, let the scripture hold your day. I think this is the best way I can put it. And you know, it, it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll interject with a little bit of a personal anecdote here, though I think in an intellectual podcast, a personal anecdote's probably a little misplaced, but my mind always goes to this. And so I'll share with you guys, and, and maybe it's a little bit of vulnerability here. So um, judge me for it all you want, but it's no secret, and if you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I am an engineer uh, by trade, that I was a pastor for a while, that I am very obsessive with philosophy and psychology and the study of many different things as well as apologetics, right? And so I do have in myself a an ability to kind of obsess and focus on different subjects, and I recognize that now as a strength, but I think I've always had that because I remember as a child, my parents would always get mad at me and say that I was one track minded, that I was always so one track minded and I would always do something. And of course I'd be disciplined for it and you know, what have you. But at some point in life I paused 
after reflecting upon scripture. And I think the best way to describe an attitude of worship is to be one track minded. And I'm not saying to just sit around all day and sing songs and, and, you know, read the Bible all day and do nothing and contribute nothing to the world. Again, I'm a freaking engineer. Like it's been a lot of schooling. It's a very busy, uh, work lifestyle. I just mentioned, I, I like classic cars. I, I have a number of hobbies, mountain biking, all kinds of stuff. Right. So I'm not saying that the one track mine is, is do nothing to focus on worship and reading the Bible, but rather to have a one track mind in worship is to let the word of God penetrate your entire day. And so what that ultimately looks like is I think what Paul says in a number of his letters, the first principle or the basis of worship is to in everything give thanks. And, and Paul writes that in, in the, his letter to the Thessalonians, right? He says, this is the will of the Lord for your life. It's kind of a big statement. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. And so if prayer is petition to God, I think the first principle or basis of worship is giving thanks to God. And that makes sense because if God's the highest ideal, which, and, and he should be, and, and, and hear me out why this makes sense, because you're going to pursue something, you're going to worship something, you're going to captivate and focus and give all of your attention and plan your marriage, your relationships, your finances, your work, your, 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 your play, the hangout you do with your friends, the music you listen to, the movies you watch, the books you read, you're going to plan all of that around something. You're going to fixate on a goal in life. You might as well make that goal the highest freaking ideal you can think about. And, and I know I'm sounding like Jordan Peterson and Carl Jung at this point, but, but it's, it's true. Because why would you say, I want my entire life, I only get one of these things, I only get 70 years at most on this earth unless I'm hit by a bus or cancer or or heart attack or something takes me out early, right? I have at most like 70 or 80 years on this earth and and I'm going to waste it on something that doesn't mean too much. You know, I I go back to the car thing, right? Like like cars are what, 100 years old now at this point Um, and, and you know, to live a life entirely fixated on a car or multiple cars, right, is such a meaningless endeavor. And again, don't get me wrong, I love cars, but but to live a life entirely worshipped, worshiping those is so meaningless and pointless. It's like you can't actually sustain that without having high levels of depression or anxiety or or just just being sad. Like, and I don't mean sad, like the emotion sad, but I mean, sad as in like kind of pathetic that your entire pursuit is going to be around that. And, I, and I'm not trying to bash on car people because there's a whole myriad of things. I mean, it, it can be anything and it can be book people. You, you can have a life entirely obsessed with, with, you know, some of the most fantastic literature works, right? Like, like Lord of the Rings. I, those are just the best fiction books ever, right? But you can live a life entirely obsessed and, and, and compulsed over those stories and, and the accoutrements that come with that. That it's like you've fixated an entire life. You've everything you've been given in this life, you've wasted. And so you might as well try to fixate on the highest ideal you can fathom, the highest and most worthy pursuit, the most worthy thing you can worship is the thing you ought to worship. And why? Because it's good for you, because you're designed to worship. So it's like, why wouldn't you want the best? You know, Valentine's Day is quickly approaching. And my wife and I are going to go out to dinner and we're not going to go to McDonald's. We're going to go to something that is the best. We're going to go on a date night. Our first date was on Valentine's. So, you know, if you don't celebrate Valentine's, whatever we do, because that was our first date. So it's kind of the anniversary of our first ever date. So, so we're going to go somewhere very nice. We're probably going to go to a steakhouse or something. 
And we don't do that often, but it's expensive. And, 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 and there's, there's a moment where it's like, that's really worth spending it there because we want to pursue the highest ideal in that moment. And it's like, you have one life. Why would you not pursue the highest ideal? You're wasting life on McDonald's when you worship lesser things. And so God designed us to worship because he doesn't want us to waste our lives. Because there's a principle we see over and over again in the Psalms from the life of David, who before he was king did not have a very good life. He was living in caves. His father-in-law was trying to kill him. He couldn't even see his wife. Every day might have been his last, and he was worshiping God. And, and there's a thing you see that happens to David is that he becomes a mighty man of God. He becomes a mighty warrior. He has high levels of satisfaction, high dopaminergic response, as you see in the Psalms. Even though his soul is downcast within him, yet he will praise the Lord, Psalm 51 says, right? And so, listen, life's going to suck. And, and we're in a culture, as I just mentioned in the last episode, with high anxiety, high depression, high you know, mental health issues. And it's like maybe the solution is to pursue the absolute highest ideal and to fixate on it and to have one-track mindedness as we go about our day and as we go about pursuing things to say, this is what true worship is. To number one, give thanks to the Lord who, if the Bible's correct, and I think it is, made everything and gifted us everything. Every ability you have, every talent you have, every breath that comes in and out of your lungs is a gift from the Lord. The trees, nature, everything that, according to the Bible, is worshiping God, is a gift from God to us, and we can be thankful, and we can live a life of gratitude. And maybe that's what worship is. You know, if, if God came down tonight and had a conversation with you, and all you did was complain, I don't know that he'd want to keep that conversation going. Like, like if you're a parent and you give a child something, or maybe you're not a parent, you know, but, but if, you, if you give a friend a gift right? Like, like, let's say, let's say you go out and you're just feeling super generous and you give your best friend and an, the, the brand new iPod 15, I think they're on, right? Like, like iPod. Wow. iPhone 15. <laughs> let's say you give your friend the new iPhone 15 and they've had it for a week and you go hang out with them and all they do is complain about it. Oh man, this thing sucks. The camera is just not as good as I was expecting it to be. Like Androids are way better than on camera on this. Cause they, this, you know, this, finally the charger is a USB-C, right? Like, oh my gosh. But now I can't use it with any of my other iPhones chargers and oh, the battery doesn't last as long as I expected it to. You'd probably feel pretty hurt at that friend, right? Be like, dude, this thing costs like, you know, an arm and a leg because it's a brand new iPhone. And I had to like remortgage my house for it. Um, <laughs> but, but you probably wouldn't hang out with that friend very often and you definitely wouldn't give them anything else. But on the flip side... If you make a friend a meal and, and you're not the world's best chef, let's be real. You're not Gordon Ramsay. I almost said Dave Ramsay, but that would be very funny. Um, he's probably not the world's best chef either, but if you're not Gordon Ramsay, right? Let's, let's just say you grill up a burger or something for a friend. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this is the best burger I've ever had. Like, this is amazing. Like, let me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm desserts on me. I'm going to buy dessert. I'm so thankful you would cook me a meal. It's like, you're going to keep cooking that friend a meal. You're going to keep hanging out They're They're going to be a friend that's over all the freaking time for meals. And the only thing that makes the difference in a relationship is gratitude. And so how much more then does gratitude make the difference in our vertical relationship to our creator, whether you, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Like how much of a difference then does gratitude make 
in how we interact with what is the highest ideal, who is the creator and, and giver and sustainer of all life. What makes all the difference in the world? Especially for your mental health and well-being. And I think that that is the act of love that God is trying to communicate to us and worship in the Bible is that if we set our mind on him and on things above, all the rest shall be added to us. It doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want. It just means that all the rest of what we're pursuing in this earth, we're, we're, we're pursuing it so that we can have peace and happiness at the end of the day, right? The, the, the only reason anyone goes out and buys a nice car is because they think it'll make them happy, not because they think it'll make them more miserable, but because they think it'll make them happy. And it's like, what if there was a better way to happiness? What if there was a better way to peace that surpasses understanding and joy that never ends? And what if that was worshiping with a thankful heart that ascribes all the glory due to his name, worshiping your creator that way? And that, from my assessment of things, is how I think the Bible describes and defines worship. And I think it's the most selfless thing that God prescribes, recommends, I don't know, <laughs> tells us to do. And I think this is evident because the opposite of worship is anxiety. And the Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And so if you're anxious, the answer is worship. If you're anxious, the answer is to have a thankful heart towards God, to practice gratitude, and it'll do away with anxiety. So those are my thoughts on it. We are definitely out of time for this episode, so let me know what you think. Uh, feel free to comment on this episode if you're listening on a platform that allows comments. Definitely like it. Um, definitely subscribe if you're not a subscriber, and please share it. You know, I, I think... And life is really complicated. I've talked to other pastors, right? And it's like none of us have this figured out. And so I think the more we can have a conversation about these things, and the more we can kind of con consider our doubts and consider the things that create and generate skepticism in the Christian sphere, maybe the more we can understand each other. Maybe the more we can stop talking past each other and have a general spirit of open-mindedness in the church, which I think is maybe one of the things we need the most right now in the church. I don't, I don't know that we need close-mindedness. I think we need high levels of conscientiousness, high levels of saying, you know, what is truth? And then when we find out what truth is, sticking to it. But I don't think, and I got into this a little bit in the how should we, you know, proceed with 2024 episode, but I think an open-minded heart that is willing to consider and converse about the things that make us skeptical is so needed. So that's my soapbox to say, please share the show. Send If an episode speaks to you, click the link to share it, You know, copy a link, send it to someone that you think could benefit from an open-minded conversation. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.